Listen to the word of God, Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to your word, needing to hear these truths, needing to hear these rich promises. Lord, let our hope be placed in your word. For you are the God who made us, the maker of heaven and earth. You are the God who who has redeemed us. You are the God of forgiveness, and so let us today find forgiveness here. Lord, I pray for those that have joined us this morning to, to listen to your word, that even if they have not yet put their trust in you, that today, as they listen, as they hear you speak, Lord, that you would give new life, salvation, forgiveness. Lord, for those of us that have have turned to follow Jesus Christ, strengthen us today. Help us to wait. Help us to put our hope in you and your word. Lord, we thank you for this good news of, of gospel revival, of gospel renewal taking place in Madagascar. Lord, I pray that you would use the McReynolds. Lord, give them the, the strength to endure the, the coming weeks of, of packing and travel. Give them the sweet reunions with, with friends and teammates and neighbors as they return. Lord, make the gospel known. Continue to raise up churches. And Lord, let their ministry be an example and encouragement to us as we partner with them in prayer. And Lord, as we as individual members choose to, to support them in, in financial partnership. Let their ministry be an example and encouragement to us that we too have the joy of making the gospel known, of proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, let us hear your word clearly and powerfully. We come asking because of what Jesus has done for us. He is the king who died in our place. He is the one who has been raised from the dead and he has ascended into heaven. And so we rejoice in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Coast Guard station in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, expected to be called out as Hurricane Sandy made its way up the coast. They received news that a ship with the crew of 16 was taking on water and was swamped by this superstorm. But when the Coast Guard saw a picture that one of the crewmen had pulled up from Google Images, they were surprised. It wasn't what they would normally expect in a rescue. It wasn't a yacht or a fishing boat. It looked more like a pirate ship. It was a replica of the 18th century tall ship, the HMS Bounty. It was a half-century-old movie prop. It was made for the Marlon Brando-helmed film, Mutiny on the Bounty. And Brando himself convinced the studio not to burn the model in the final scenes of the the ship, so that it could become a a tourist attraction, that it could be used. And so that's what it had been for the remaining decades. It had appeared in some other movies, but most of the time it was there for tourists to pay, to come on, 
to maybe climb the ropes, to learn what it was like to sail on a ship centuries ago. But now a movie prop that was never meant to last more than a few months is out in the ocean facing one of the largest hurricanes imaginable. Their mayday signal was sent at 9 p.m. as the ship took on water and the pumps couldn't manage. At one point, the ship rolled entirely onto its side, but then righted itself. By midnight, the Coast Guard airplane dispatched made radio contact. But with winds at 80 or 90 miles per hour, there was no hope of a gear drop or rescue from an airplane. The only thing the crew of the Bounty could do was hold on until morning. When a helicopter could be summoned, it seemed to the crew an awful long time to wait. The ship was not going to make it until morning. The crew donned their survival suits, and when the ship rolled again onto its starboard side, the crew was thrown into the churning ocean. Crewman Josh Scornavacci grasped for something to keep afloat, but he was dragged underwater. He was caught in the ship's rigging and being pulled to the ocean floor. It's a moment of despair, a man in need of rescue, a man being swallowed by the depths. That's the imagery of Psalm 130, the imagery of of the danger of the sea. Out of the depths, I cry to you, a man in need of rescue. Culturally, in the ancient world, the depths, the sea, is is a place of trouble for a landlocked nation that that didn't venture out onto the Mediterranean. The people of Israel feared the dangerous and deep waters, for their technology was not even as good as this replica 18th century ship. And so the depths in the Scriptures, that, that phrase, out of the depths, it captures the danger we face, our separation from God. It's an image captured elsewhere in the Psalms. It's used by the prophets to describe our broken relationship with God. And so this psalm is for us then a song of rescue, a song of forgiveness. It's, it's literally a song of ascents. I mean, that's the, the title given to it. But you see the structure of the psalm. You heard it as I read it. We start in the depths of despair, but then we are raised up through rescue to the, the heights of forgiveness. And so that's what we're going to do as we walk through the psalm is is just follow the psalmist on this path from despair to forgiveness. The psalmist cries out for help. Those opening verses are, are powerful words. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The psalmist is crying out for help. The SOS has been sent, but does anybody hear? The psalmist is begging the Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. O Lord, listen to me. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And so we culturally today, we, we, we use this kind of language of the depths, uh, more to describe our, our despair, our emotional state. But, 
but notice the context here. And so this psalm can be helpful to us in those moments, but, but look at this context. The context is a context of, of the need for mercy. Not merely that God would restore our emotional state, but that God would restore us into right relationship with him morally, ethically, legally, that God would bring us into relationship. The cry in verse 2 is a cry for mercy, that God would extend forgiveness, that God would not judge the people for the sins that they know they've committed. And so the psalmist then in verse 3 asks that question. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, it's that moment when no one is willing to step forward and say, I think maybe I could. No. No, we, all, we all know the answer to this question. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? The answer is no one. No one can stand in the face of God's judgment on his own. No one can, can say, Lord, look at what I have done. Let me measure up to your standards. No, there is no hope for the psalmist. And so there's a, there's a cry of despair. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord, my relationship with you has been destroyed. I'm being swallowed by the depths of the sea. Pastor John Owen, a Puritan pastor of previous generations, he he describes the psalmist who cries out under the weight and waves of his own sin. Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do we recognize the danger? For Josh in the Atlantic Ocean, there is danger all around him. But do we feel it? Do we feel the weight of the the psalmist's cry? Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. See, we're willing to cry out when times are tough, when, when things aren't going well, when our circumstances are broken. We're willing to cry out to God when we suffer. But are we willing to cry out to God when we feel the despair of our own sin. Because to cry out to God here means you have nothing but mercy upon which to rely. This isn't a moment where you demand God's justice. Oh Lord, my enemies have oppressed me. There are psalms for that. No, this is a moment where you say, Oh Lord, I have sinned against you. Oh Lord, be merciful to me. See, we live at a time when sin is treated trivially. When what God calls sin, we call fun. And when I say we live at a time, I mean that's every time since the Garden of Eden. Because all of us as sinners are good at justifying our own behaviors, at, at making ourselves feel comfortable with what God would call sin. What God, what the scriptures would call treason against God's reign and authority in our lives. We're quick to justify ourselves. We live according to our own standards. But you see what the psalmist is saying? When you enter God's presence, when you recognize who God is, when you're going to the temple to worship, you better recognize your own condition, your own sinfulness. See, this is the song of the pilgrim people of God going up to the temple, bringing with them or buying on the way sacrifices to be slaughtered, blood to be poured out to provide forgiveness for their sins. 
And so as we come to God, we need to cry out to him for mercy. Cry to him out of the depths, the depths of despair brought on you by your own sin, by your own brokenness. But this psalm doesn't leave us there in the depths. I mean, it's a song of ascent. It rises up. Because when we cry out to God, he hears. God forgives us. I mean, look at the, the beauty of, of these verses. Verse 3 is that question for which there is no answer that we can bring. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And then the beauty of verse 4, that most powerful of, of words in all of Scripture, but, but with you there is forgiveness. Lord, no one can stand before you, but with you there is forgiveness. And then that beautiful promise of verse 8 that God himself, God himself will step in to redeem Israel from all their sins. When we cry out to God, God hears, God forgives. See, we all have a doctrine of forgiveness. We all have a way to deal with our own guilt. I mean, what's your solution? I mean, for many of us, our solution to the guilt we feel, I mean, see, we want to get out from underneath that, that terrible feeling. And so for many of us, that solution to guilt is, is to find a way to forgive ourselves. We do it by justifying our own actions, by comparing us, ourselves to people that are worse than us. We make ourselves feel better. We write our own rules because we don't want to live with guilt. And so we're told and we tell ourselves that we just need to learn to forgive ourselves. If we could forgive ourselves, then we could move on with life. But that alone is not the biblical doctrine. The biblical doctrine of forgiveness forces us to admit that we have sinned against God. That we need God to step in and provide forgiveness. It's not enough for us to tell ourselves we're fine, we're good enough. No, we need God to actually deal with our guilt, with our sinfulness. We need to cry to him for mercy. We need to to ask him for forgiveness. But God hears us, and God forgives. Martin Luther, the, the great preacher of the Reformation, he called Psalm 130 a Pauline psalm. He meant that Psalm 130, like Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, it, it points us to the New Testament beautiful doctrine that God alone forgives. And so he calls it a Pauline psalm because it sounds like the Apostle Paul could have written it. It sounds like the, the doctrine that is clearly taught in the New Testament that we are all sinners. Each one of us has sinned against God, and there is no hope of forgiveness apart from God. There is no way for us to justify ourselves, to make things right, but God alone forgives. And so we can hear those words. Psalm 130 is is captured in the the beautiful doctrines of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in, in Romans his letter to the church in Rome, this this beautiful theological treatise which starts us in the depths of despair, that all of us are sinners and yet rises us to the heights of freedom through the death of Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 22, Romans 3. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The depths of despair. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Do you hear the the biblical doctrine of how forgiveness comes to us? All of us are sinners. There is no one righteous. The apostle has worked that doctrine out in our lives, in, in the scriptures. And so he reaches that conclusion, and yet he continues with the beautiful doctrine that we are justified freely by the grace of God through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ died in our place. Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement. The pilgrim people of God in Psalm 130 are are bringing their sacrifices to the temple, and yet Jesus himself went to the temple to offer himself as a sacrifice. He went to Jerusalem. Christ himself is our redemption, the price paid to forgive us. Jesus is the the one who, who has redeemed Israel. He is the promised Savior of Psalm 130. God himself will redeem his people from all their sins. See, that's the power of the gospel. Self-forgiveness doesn't solve the problem. Self-justification doesn't deal with the, the, the root issue of our sin, our brokenness. We cry out to God from the depths of the despair of our sin, with the waves of our sin and punishment crashing over us, and only God can rescue us. Only God can save us. Our sin is great. The depths are real. But God's grace is deeper than our deepest sin. Forgiveness is found in Jesus. Many of us have heard the the story of John Wesley's conversion. When he heard someone read from Martin Luther's work on Romans in a little chapel on Aldersgate Street in London. That moment when Wesley first understood the gospel of forgiveness, which he describes as being strangely warmed by the power of God. Wesley, who would become a pioneering preacher and evangelist in in England and in the United States. But what isn't always included in Wesley's conversion story is that earlier in the day he attended a worship service at St. Paul's where he heard Psalm 130 sung. He describes it as a a powerful movement. He was moved by the the, the emotion of the song, which which began to open his heart up to the gospel. That's what Psalm 130 is meant to do for us. Let us see the danger of our sin and yet offer us the hope of forgiveness. I mean, for you today, do you hear this good news? This is the solution to your struggle with sin, the solution to the guilt you feel. Often in counseling, people, people ask, how do I deal with the guilt? Because you want to get away from it. And there, there are lots of ways that culturally we try and deal with the guilt. Often guilt is a very good thing. It's the work of God's Spirit drawing you to God himself. The way to deal with guilt is to ask for forgiveness, to acknowledge your sin, and to turn to Christ. But do you see what God has done for us? God himself has redeemed us. The redemption price to buy us out of slavery, to rescue us, has been paid by the Savior himself, Jesus. And so we cry from the depths of our sin. God hears. God forgives. And this psalm then asks us to wait and to hope. That theme of waiting is is repeated in this psalm. Verse 5, look there with me. I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I mean, the repeated refrain is, if you find yourself trapped in sin, call out to God. Await his rescue. If you feel yourself trapped in the despair of life, call out to God and wait. And yet waiting feels to us maybe too passive, like we've given up. But notice here that the waiting is not passive. It's an active waiting. We wait in eager anticipation that God will redeem us, that one day all that has gone wrong in this world will be solved, that we will be pulled from the depths and rescued. As sure as the morning is coming, your redemption is here. It's why the, the psalm repeats that phrase. In eager anticipation of the morning, the watchmen stand on the towers and, and scan the horizon. More than watchmen wait for the morning, my soul waits for the Lord. Because this waiting produces within us hope. We heard it there in verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. It's a decision to trust that what God has said to us is true. This isn't just a passive acceptance of, of what life throws at you. This is an active, eager trust. It's, it, it describes the, the eager anticipation the New Testament expects from us. Philippians 3.20 says, We eagerly await a Savior from heaven, our Lord Jesus. There's an earnestness, an eagerness in waiting for, for the work of Jesus, our Savior, to be completed. Our waiting is hopeful because we know that there is forgiveness that comes to us from God. God is the one who has rescued us. And so God's word is true. God can be trusted. And so if you feel yourself trapped by the weight of sin, if you feel yourself being dragged under, turn to God. Cry out to him. Read his word. If you're a, a Christian who feels the, the weight of, of sin and pain and sorrow, cry out to God. Wait for him. Put your hope in his word. Rely on his authority. Listen to his voice. That God himself is the one who is coming, and so we can wait for God. This is a joy-filled, hopeful response. The despair we feel now is not the end of the story, that God is the one in whom we can put our hope. Our, hope, our waiting is hopeful. Our waiting is active. But, but look with me back again at verse 4, which describes for us the, the further response that's expected of us. With you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Now that, maybe it doesn't strike you as odd because it's poetry in the Bible, but, but it seems maybe that we might have anticipated the, the psalmist describing it this way. With you there is forgiveness, therefore, God, you are loved. God, you have forgiven me, therefore I'll respond in worship. God, you have forgiven me, therefore I will, I will adore you. But what does the psalmist say? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. And we saw this when we, when we looked at Psalm 128 a couple of weeks ago that fear is an appropriate biblical response to the justice and judgment of God. It is, yes, the, the awe-inspiring worship of, of God's greatness and power, but it is also the recognition that God is the judge and we are sinners. 
And we saw it in Psalm 128 that to fear God is to obey him. To fear God is to listen to his voice. To fear God is to walk in his ways. That's what the psalm wants of us. See, do you see the only meaningful response, the only reasonable response to the, to the forgiveness that God gives us is to follow after him. Yes, in love. We can rightly end a, a verse like verse 4 with the love of God. With you there's forgiveness. Therefore, God, I love you. But we also need to end it with obedience. Therefore, God, I fear you. I respect you. I trust your authority. I put my hope in your word. I will follow after you. See, fear is the appropriate response when you've stared at the depths of your sin, when you've seen the awesomeness of God's power and holiness. But in the depths, you also find God's love, his overwhelming forgiveness. No matter how deep your sin, no matter how great your sorrow, no matter how powerful your despair, God's grace is greater still. God's love is deeper still. And so we fear God. We obey God. We wait for him in eager anticipation of his love and power being displayed in our lives. We wait for him in active pursuit of holiness. We cry out to God. He hears us. He forgives us. God rescues us. Josh can't explain it. He can't explain how he got free of the ropes that were dragging him under in the storm. But he resurfaced into the horror of the hurricane and the pitch black of the ocean. He was separated from his crewmates and being tossed by the storm. He'd have to wait for rescue until morning. At dawn, the Coast Guard rescue helicopters arrived. Spotting his beacon, the rescue swimmer hits the water and begins pulling survivors to safety. Fourteen of the 18 crew members were rescued. Once safely on shore, Josh called his mom. She'd seen the news. She knew the ship had been lost. And then she heard her son's voice. He told her, I'm alive, Mom. I made it. And then he just held the phone and listened to her sob. From the depths of despair, waiting for morning, to the joy of rescue, Jesus Christ has plunged himself into the depths. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Jesus. Jesus Christ can stand in my place, for he is the righteous one. He is the holy one. He is the one who bore my sins in his body on the tree. Do you hear the rescue of God in Psalm 130? God himself has redeemed you from your sins. Cry out to God. Wait for him. Put your hope in the Lord. Let's turn to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice that you are the God of rescue. We give you praise for you sent Jesus to die in our place. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we contemplate your word, as we feel the, the weight of our sin, 
that we would find the joy of rescue in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now for those who resist the work of your grace, for those who who continue to justify themselves even as they have heard your word. Lord, I pray that you would break through and show them the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Let them find the joy of rescue that you provide. Father, we give you thanks. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to to live lives of obedience. Then in response to your forgiveness, we would fear you, we would obey you, we would follow you. Lord, let us be eager in our waiting, joyful in our anticipation of, of your return. Lord, we pray that you would work in us by the power of your gospel to see that your grace is greater than all our sin, that out of the depths you have rescued us. Lord, let us put our hope in you. For with you is unfailing love, with you is full redemption. For you yourself have redeemed us from our sins. You sent Jesus to die for us, and in his name we rejoice. The name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.